guys. Welcome back to Vertical Momentum. I'm your host, Richard Kaufman. Guys, this is going to be an amazing episode. Make sure you subscribe and hit that notification bell because you're going to want to save this and share it because we're talking about building your own economy. My brother David Amen. wrote an amazing book. He's changing the world one home at a time. He's a keynote speaker, <laughs> author, coach. He's a Swiss army knife of building your own economy. David, brother, Amen. welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. That was a hell of an intro. I'm going to take you with me anywhere I go, okay? <laughs> there you go. Get all get us all hyped up. Um, so That's let me right. ask you a question because ever since COVID hit, a lot of companies had, had to learn to be resilient or they were going out of business. What is your definition right. of resiliency in life and business? Well, I, I believe a resilient person or a resilient business is prepared for the for the unexpected. They have they have the ability to be nimble and pivot at, at a moment's notice. And that typically resides within leadership of our own selves and of course our own companies. And it's 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 really indicative of the culture of a company, right? If you have a culture that doesn't have high accountability, isn't very skilled or isn't skill oriented or personal development oriented then it's going to be very hard to maneuver in, 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 in a trying time. It's going to be hard to move. It's going to be hard to take a switch or to take a different stance. But if, if you've always had a position that states, I am prepared for whatever comes at me, then whatever comes at you, you can handle. And then that's, by the way, the premise of, of building your own economy is really that. And so resilience comes from being prepared for the unknown because you know, I can't prepare for the accident that's going to happen outside if I drive down the road. But if that accident were to take place, what am I prepared to what, what, what have I prepared before that? I, I take care of my body. I make sure I have good insurance. Right. I follow I follow the rules. Right. I make sure that I'm prepared in some way, shape or form. So when that hits me, regardless of the outcome, at least I'm the best prepared for it. Maybe I'm not entirely there, but I'm best prepared. I, I love that. So give us the quick down and dirty. Tell us a little bit about where you come from, where did you grew up, and how did you become the man that you are today? Man, that's a long story, but but uh, but I'll, I'll try my best to give this to you in a, in a short version, which is, you know, so first of all, I was born in a little city, deep south Texas. Um, I was born to a, a young single mother. She was 18 years old when she had me. Uh, just graduated from high school, didn't know what she wanted to do with her life. You know, she's a kid having a kid. I'm the kid. Um, the doctors, when I was born, told my mother at birth that I was going to be a special kid. Now, I would imagine that the doctors say that about every kid, right? They're like, this is going to be a special kid. But in my case, they they meant it. And um, they looked over at my mom and they said, this kid has something special. Now, you viewers not be able to see this if they're watching this or listening, but I am as white as they as you can be, right? I, I actually lack pigment in my skin because I have something called albinism. Now, I was born in 1983 when Google wasn't around or any search engine or chat GPT. It was around, right? All these things. And so if you wanted to know about a condition or 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 something of the nature like albinism, there's really no way to figure that out. So the doctor just said I was going to be special and and they were somewhat right. I had sensitivity to light. I couldn't be in the sun. And so at birth that was labeled disabled. And I was raised by my mom for a year or two until she realized it was taking care of a special needs kid was pretty hard. 
So my parents or my grandparents at the time, and now my, they were my parents today because they raised me, stepped in and said, hey, we'll take care of him. So I was raised by my grandparents, which uh, both Hispanic, both Mexican. So me being white, that's why they knew I was different. I'm the only white kid in my family. <laughs> and uh, they raised me pretty well. The school system raised me pretty well. I rode the little bus. I was put into a special ed classroom. I was given extra time to do my homework. I didn't go outside for recess because I would get sunburned. I wore big old glasses and everybody truly in, in from parents to, to teachers and to the school, everybody was super good to me. They coddled me. They made sure I was taken care of. Um, you know, and that was one side of the coin. The other side is the, the kids made fun of me. I was the whitest kid in school. I was picked on. I was bullied. I was teased. Every stupid Casper and Powder movie that came out was freaking insane for me because it was just another name that they could call me. But for the majority of my life, I was sheltered. I was told that everything would be all right, that life was you know, going to be good. It, the schools told me that. My parents told me that. Everybody told me that. I didn't know at that time that that life was bad because it wasn't wasn't I ate good. I had roof over my head. My parents weren't rich by any means, by the way. My very, my parents were very humble, worked really, really hard. That's all I got to see my parents do is work. And so it all boiled down to at age 16. So my life was pretty sheltered till 16. At age 16, I come home from school and my mom and my dad are sitting at a table with two men in two suits. They look over at me and they ask me to sit down. I sit down. They ask me a, a few questions about my medical history. Tell me about, you know, your condition. Tell me about what, you know, you're experiencing all these things. And when they were done, I said, guys, what, what the hell is this all about? And the, the gentleman said, this is for life insurance. And at the time, I didn't know what was going on. And I didn't, I, well, I was very shy and timid. Being in this condition at the time, I was not a very social person because I was kind of to be truthful, I was I was kind of ashamed of my appearance because I lived in a really brown community. I'm Hispanic and I was the only white kid. So it was kind of made fun of a lot. So I had a really big time, hard time dealing with this. And later that night, I ran into my mom in the kitchen and I said, Mom, tell me why I need life insurance. Because if somebody gets life insurance at 16, what I mean, what would you think? You know, what do you think at 16 years old, somebody's buying life insurance on you? What would you think? It's like, uh oh, the clock is ticking. <laughs> What's, I what thought, am I dying and how long do I got? Yeah, like, are they going to kill me? Is this over? What's going on? And so I asked her what's going on. And she says, well, son, I, me and your dad just want to make sure that when we're gone, whoever decides to take care of you or whoever steps in to take care of you, we can take care of them by having a life insurance policy on you. And at that moment, it changed my whole perspective of life because I had never at the, at least at this point, I hadn't realized that I was heavily dependent on everyone around me. And I hadn't realized that. And I never thought of myself as a burden. I never thought about myself as a handicap or disabled. I never thought of this, but apparently my parents and everyone else did. And I went back to my room and I said, I'm not going to be a dependent the rest of my life. I won't allow anybody to dictate or control what I do with my life, how I do it, where I do it. And I sure as hell don't need anybody to take care of me. That's it. And I made a conscious, deliberate decision that day to change who I was. And it wasn't because I was a bad person. In fact, I got worse after that because after I realized this, 
that's when I, I mean, I'm not saying I got into heavy drugs, but I started to smoke weed and drink alcohol and smoke cigarettes. And I went kind of rebellious because I thought in my mind, like, I'm going to do what I want. <laughs> and, and I did. And so for the remainder, you know, from here to there, all I've been doing is fighting tooth and nail to be an independent person. I made commitments to myself and my family and everyone around me that I would never allow anyone to take care of me, that I would build something that was indestructible, that didn't have any reliance on anyone else or anything else. I'm very independent in everything I do. Like, uh, you know, I have a backup generator in my house. We have propane everywhere. You know, I'm not like a survival or what do they call those people that like hoard food and ammunition. Mm -hmm. I'm not that guy. But I am prepared for the unprepared stuff because I don't want to rely on anybody. I don't want to call you to lend me money. I don't want to call you to help me. I want to be in control of everything because I believe control is what we all seek. And at 37 years old, two years ago, I was sitting in a room looking at my life. And I have a lot of stories in between here and there. I have many businesses, things that I've done. I don't want to get into that much detail because of the audience. It's just – but. I'm sitting in a room and a guy sits next to me and he says, Hey, what are you doing these days? And I said, it was an event. And I said, you know, I'm trying, I've been thinking about writing a book. He said, well, I think you should write a book. And then I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm thinking about this. And, and I didn't know what the book was going to be about. I didn't know what it was going to do. And I was going to write a book about business at first. I thought I'm going to write a book about business and how do you build different business? How do you build a business like a core? And then how do you bolt on these, we'll call them these, business components or what I would even call as um, these uh, like just different add-ons. Like we bolt on things to a main product, right? That's what I was writing. And in fact, I did write that book. And then I realized it wasn't what I wanted to write. And um, I went to another event. Another guy asked me, what are you doing? And I said, I'm trying to write this book, man. And he goes, what are you trying to do? And I told him, I'm trying to build something big, man. Like all my life I've been fighting and I'm trying to figure out something. And by the way, at that time, I had never shared the story I just shared with you. Nobody knew I was disabled. Nobody knew I rode the little bus. Nobody knew I had been called, you know, I don't talk about these things. And I realized at that time, he said, it sounds like you want to build something big. And then he goes, it sounds like, you know, something else. And then he said something about an economy. And then I said, that's it. I want to, I want to build my own. I mean, to be frank with your audience, I want to build my own fucking economy. Like, that's it. That's who I am. Like, I've worked all my life to do this, like where I don't need to rely on anybody, you know, and I, I and by the way, in my book, I talk about four components, health, wealth, legacy and values. I believe if you don't take care of your health, well, there's there's I mean, then any coronavirus takes your life. Right. If you don't take care of your finances, then any recession will devastate your family. If you don't have a legacy thought mindset every single freaking day, like, what am I leaving behind? You know, because one of my mentors asked me this one question, changed my whole life. He said, David, tell me who your great, 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 great grandparents are. And I said, I don't know. How would I know that? He goes, you know why you don't know them, David? I said, why not? He goes, because they didn't leave you shit. <laughs> I said, wow, you know, I got to live a life that I leave something behind. And then values. That's how you transition legacies. That's how you transition your life. You train you're, you don't train, you train your mind to manage your value system so you make better decisions. So this was like all a fruition of my whole life of what I've tried to accomplish in this this one book, Building Your Own Economy. And that's how I got here. I love it. Um, and we got, I want to dig so much deeper into it because I love everything <laughs> you're talking about. Um, and a lot of it is mirroring my story. I grew up in, in an addictive and abusive household. So for me, my coping mechanism was books. 
like when everybody was out playing, I was reading those books by Arc Linkletter, going from the out the encyclopedias and all that. So I've read over six thousand books, and I got like fifteen Whoa. going at every, at every every day. I got at least fifteen books going. Um, so talk to us, you know, if you can remember back, you know, what was your solace? If you weren't going out and playing and doing the, doing these things, what was your thing that your go to? As as a kid, yeah. Hmm. You know that's hard to articulate for me. I've never been asked that question. I, you know, when I was a kid, what I would go to. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, interesting when I was growing up. You know, in the 80s and 90s, there wasn't all these games and computers and all that shit that we can use. Sorry, I'm plugging in my laptop. It's about to die. There wasn't all these things that we could get wrapped up in. I wasn't a big reader. I was, you know, I, I, for some reason, when I was a kid, I was fascinated with communication. Um, I would listen to the news to learn about how they use the words the things, the statements that they would make, the charismatic nature of people's, you know, delivery. It was weird. I had this addiction to kind of watching people speak and I really enjoyed it. And so when I was growing up, I would literally stay up until two in the morning when the TVs would actually go out. Do you remember those days when yep. the TV actually turned off? And yep. I would watch the news till then. I've never shared this with anybody because I don't think it was ever that important. But now that I think back at it, like I was just trying to learn better communication skills because I, for some apparent reason in my life, I caught on to those who can communicate highly typically have high levels of success. And I, I studied it without knowing that I was studying that. Like I studied without knowing that's what I was doing. It just became a habit. Even today, I could go to an event, I can go to a, anywhere or even things of this nature. And I'll, I'm looking and then this is not to get you to be conscious or anything, but I watch people's communication styles and I pick up what's good, what's bad or what's indifferent or how can I get better at my stuff just by watching. So I don't even go to events to get things out of them sometimes. Like I'm going to an event in two weeks and I'm not even going to get the content from the event. I just know that the guy who's putting it on is an incredible speaker. He's an incredible communicator. He's got a way of charismaticness to him. I want to learn what he's doing because what he's doing obviously is winning and I want to win too. <laughs> Things like that. I guess that was what I went to. Yep, and I love it. Like I told you before we even came on, I can listen to you just read my Bible back to me. you got an amazing <laughs> voice, and you have a very soothing voice. So I just wanted Thank to you. You know, put, put that out there. So now, Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, talk to us about, you know, you wanted to build your own economy, but obviously you had to do some work to get money to build your economy. So when you got out of high school, what did you do? You know, uh, growing up, I wanted to be a freaking teacher. I, 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 as a kid, every interaction with teachers was always good, man. They, I mean, I, I can tell you there's probably some bad ones, but for the majority, 95% of the teachers I interacted with growing up were such beautiful people. They cared deeply about what they did. They were very, you know, intentional about the communications that we had. Like, it was just beautiful. Like, I loved teachers. And so growing up, I said, I want to be like these people. They're compassionate. They're caring. They're knowledgeable. They know what they're doing in life. Like by, the, by de my definition of success was a teacher when I was graduating high school. So my first job was a substitute teacher. 
<laughs> and I went to do this for about a month. And I realized very quickly that being a teacher sucked. Um, <laughs> you know, kids are little bastards. I guess not every kid was me. Um, by, by the way, looking different didn't help, right? Um, so I got made fun of as a substitute teacher. I get my check at the end of the month and I'm like, this is what they pay you to deal with this shit? I was like, nah, nah, we're not doing this. So I went into substitute teaching. Then I said, well, and I didn't even go to college. I, I took like a year or semester off. And, and I said, I don't know what I would do in my life. So after I did that, I said, no, I'm going to go into school. So I went to school and I, I got lost. I failed every class for like two years. I'm not even joking about any of this. I, I realized that I needed to change my environment. So here's a, here's a tip for your audience. When I realized, uh, what I realized is that I needed to change my environment. So I decided to go to college and I decided to move away from home. And I did that because I knew that a change of environment, at least internally, would maybe allow me to become something I wasn't at the time. Because everybody knew me a certain way and I thought maybe I could recreate myself. And this is what I did. So I moved away. I worked at the school, at the university. I got, you know, independence in my life. I started to learn things. In about 2000, I guess it was 2000, well, I don't know the year, but I was 22, 23 years old. I, I was at a party with some friends from high school and a buddy, and I was going to college, and my buddy comes up to me and he goes, hey, you been, man? I'm doing good. What are you up to? And I said, I don't know what I want to do in my life, man. And he goes, what do you like? And I said, I really like real estate. For some reason, I had this allure. And I think in the early 2000s, everybody wanted to invest in real estate. So I thought everybody was buying real estate to be super wealthy and all that stuff. So I tell him this and he goes, well, how do you plan on doing it? And I said, I have no clue. I don't have any money. And I, and you know, I didn't have money literally. Like, I don't even think I had money in my pocket at that, at that party. I was just there to get free beer. Um, and he says, how do you think you're going to do it? I said, I don't know. And he goes, well, how about this? Why don't you become a real estate agent? And it was such an epiphany at the time for me because I had never considered that. Like, I didn't even think that that was possible for me. But then all of a sudden him putting that seat in my head was changed my whole life. And I said, okay, sounds like a good idea. So the next day I figured it out. I took some of my student loan money that I had from school and I bought some courses and I signed up to get, you know, I, it took me about a year. I got my real estate license. So I became a realtor in 2006. As you know, 2007, the whole market went to shit. Mm -hmm. For that whole year that I was a realtor, I think I sold like two or, two or three transactions. I was completely lost. I was a shitty realtor and the market was going to teach me that just like they're teaching all the mortgage loan people right now. <laughs> and the realtors now. This is interesting. I, I've already lived through what they're living through. And uh, interesting enough, I found an opportunity in this. In 2007 and eight, when we were having the worst economic times, I didn't know what I was going to do, but everything I knew in my life was about real everything I had thought my life was going to be about real estate was just came crashing down. And so what I did at the time is I took a job, not a job, it was a contract with some banks to do what they call uh, brokers, professional opinions. Basically I would drive by a house, take a bunch of pictures and give an opinion of value before they foreclosed. I literally did thousands of these things <laughs> and um, I learned a lot. But I knew this wasn't the path because obviously the market was for shit and everybody was selling and nobody was buying. So I go to a buddy of mine one day, we're having drinks. For some reason, having drinks is a lot of my life for some reason. And I'm having some drinks and uh, he looks over at me and says, Dave, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm doing this real estate thing, just trying to make it work. And he goes, 
have you ever thought about doing taxes? And I said, no, not really. Why? He goes, I, why don't, why don't we look into doing some tax tax business together? And I said, look, man, as much as I like you, I, I don't like taxes, bro. <laughs> I said, look, this, the only thing I know about taxes is that I freaking hate paying them. That's it. And he says, look, I have a cousin who's in this industry. He says it's really good. Maybe we should think about it. He goes, why don't you go join me? I'm going to go to meet with him and some friends. And we're going to talk about maybe opening some, some offices and things. I said, I'll go with you if we're going to go party. <laughs> so apparently I like to drink at that time. So I went and um, I was sitting there listening to this guy tell me about this industry. And I'm just there like, eh, you know, whatever. And then he said a statement that changed my life again. He said, if you want to know one thing about this industry that I love. And I said, sure, what is it? And he said, it is a recession proof industry. No matter what happens in this country, no matter what happens, you will always be responsible for paying taxes. <laughs> and I thought I just got kicked in the nuts in the in the in the in the, in the real estate space. I said, sign me up. Let me figure this shit out. So I said, I'm never going to go down like this again. And so I entered the tax industry in 2008. And it's just been an ever longing. I've done other things along the way. We've owned insurance brokerages. I owned a bar. I've owned a mortgage company. We've had, uh, you know, a dozen or so different ideas and companies along the way. But taxes has been the core of my my business model because I do believe that everybody needs to file a tax return. And today I hope high income earners avoid or eliminate their tax liability using advanced tax strategies and use that savings to invest in their wealth, which is real estate. All right, so before, because I want to dig a lot deeper into what we just talked about. Oh, shit. <laughs> yep, uh, you're not getting off that easy. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors, as you see below. Indy's IT department, my friend Daniel Curry. He keeps us fr free of all the bugs, the gremlins in our computer systems and our phones. So if you guys have phones and you, want, and you are worried about cybersecurity, ask a veteran to make sure that you're safe. Check out Indy's IT department. And if you guys would love to have a podcast like this, where we're ranked in the top 1% globally of all podcasts, wow. if you would like to learn how to run, start, run, and monetize a podcast, check out my friend ericallen.com. Amazing company. Without him, I wouldn't be able to do what I do. And I'm just standing on the shoulder of giants. So if you would love to have your own show, just let us know that. So now let's talk a little bit about, you know, taxes because we are it's march 8th i think and tax the tax man is coming on the 15th we or the 17th whatever it is and a lot of us are so afraid of taxes but i have a different opinion i mean if i'm paying taxes taxes that means i'm making money so i i love you know i i, I want to definitely talk about that but i just had a guy not even 15 minutes before we came on. He's a real estate mogul. I think he has over 150 properties. And he talks about, you know, how how important taxation and real estate with real estate is. And for me, I didn't realize about building your own economy until I read, read the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert yep. Kiyosaki and Sharon Lecter. Now, they've been on the show and um, so something we talked about is exactly what you're talking about is building 
your own economy. Because a lot of people think, you know, your home is an asset, but it's really not until you make it your asset. So, you know, let's let's take a deep dive into what it was like getting into your into learning taxes and some stuff we don't know about taxes. Well, well, you don't really. So here, here's an interesting fact. You know, everybody works probably with a tax professional at some level today. Most people do. There's a few people out there that do things self-prepared or whatever. But for the most part, you're working with somebody. Now, a good indicator of having somebody working. So what I what I've come to learn about this industry and taxes in general is you always want to work with somebody who is either doing as good or better than you. Um, at least initially, because the challenge that I find today is that if your tax man or woman has never experienced a tax challenge, then, I mean, how could they possibly help you overcome yours? This is a big challenge. What I find in the industry is that I meet a bunch of people who take their paperwork to some guy or girl who, who makes very little money because they don't charge enough and they work for too many people for a very little amount of time. And, and they don't have ambitions or goals to be billionaires or, I mean, maybe not billion, but at least millions, right? Because if, if I'm in the pursuit of millions personally, and you came to me and you're like, well, I want to, you know, I don't really want to do much. Well, then I'd say, well, look, I can't really help you to the biggest, of, the best of my abilities. But if you are in the growth track, like I think you want to be, I can help you because I've either gone through it or I'm going through it. And as I go through it, I'm going to be able to solve your problems even better. This is something that I think a lot of people miss. So the industry as a whole, obviously, there's two different components. There's there's compliance, which is filing of returns. That's going to somebody, giving them your documentation, providing that information. They put it into a software. It spits out a tax return. And whatever the outcome in is, positive or negative, is irrelevant to them. Their job is just to get you there. Typically, compliance people think they work for the IRS, <laughs> even though they don't. Then there's strategy and planners, which is what I do who don't go at a tax return, we actually use prior tax returns as a gauge of where we can actually have an impact. So our job is to review prior data, determine where you currently are, project where you wanna go, and then create strategies or have you invest in strategies that would offset tax liabilities going forward. And this is a big difference between, so there's tax strategists and there's tax preparers or compliance versus advisory however you want to see it. And, and if you know the difference, then what happens is you start being proactive in your tax savings because you're right. When I was young, everybody said, you make money, you pay taxes. In fact, my first big tax liability, I went to a good friend of mine who was a CPA and I said, hey man, I need your help. I need to figure out how to not pay this bill. And he said, look, it's late March. Deadlines are already over. Tough shit, pay it. And I said, dude, this is six figures. He goes, that's just how it is. And I said, what do you mean this is how it is? You made money, you didn't plan, pay it. And I said, but I gotta find a way, this is a CPA. He says, no, 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 no. He looked me straight in the eye and he says, you better pay your fucking taxes. That's what he told me. And then he said, to follow that up, if you don't pay your fucking taxes, I don't think you should be able to vote. <laughs> and I looked over at him, I said, you're crazy, man. He goes, no, he goes, this is just how it is. I've been a CPA for 40 years. This is how the code is written, and this is what you do. And I said, okay, I'll pay my fucking taxes. So I paid my taxes. But then I said, after I, was, after I said I would pay him, I said, look, man, but I don't want to pay him moving forward. He goes, that's a different story. You didn't ask me that. You didn't ask me how to be proactive. You didn't ask me how to strategize your plan. You just said, how do I avoid paying taxes? 
if the deal is done, it's done. He goes, when a transaction is completed, it's completed. You can't amend things that have already been done. Just do what you have to do and go for it. And from that day forward is when I became a tax strategist. So that's 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 my opinion on taxes. All right. Now, I, and this is weird to say, but if I close my eyes, I have a friend whose name is Daniel Gomez, and he has an amazing podcast called Do Daniel Gomez Inspires. You sound exactly like him. And he's one of my favorite people in the world. So, wow, I'm just I'm blown away. Well, let's have some fun with Daniel. I need to get on his podcast. <laughs> I definitely and and he's in the top in the top uh, of all entrepreneurial podcasts in the world. And he's, oh man, he's I want to have fun with him. And he's one of the world's top keynote speakers, also. So, Daniel so let's Gomez. talk about your. Yep, and I'll, I'll send you. I'll actually hook you guys up because I, I I'm a big I love connecting people. I'm a big connector. Thank you. So so talk about your book. What was the impetus for your book and what was the thought process? Um, give me a, a clearer question on that. What, what, what do you want me to share? For, why did you write your book? And for me, like when I buy a book or even if I watch a cartoon, I, I, make, I make sure that I'm going to learn something that I can use out of that book. So like, did you, did you write your book? What was the purpose for writing your book? Well, number one, it was to share a story I'd never shared before. Um, all the stories I'm sharing right now um, and, and, and stories I shared about my past, they're not all in that book, but I had never been this open. I was always handcuffed to this belief system that you should not share things that you weren't proud of or things that maybe made you feel uncomfortable. Um, in the Hispanic community, you know, men are supposed to be macho. They hold it in. And I, I, I guess I hadn't, hadn't ever thought that way, but I didn't realize what, what I really wanted to get out of the book when I started writing it. I didn't even write any of these stories. I started with just talking about, you know, an economy and economics and all this bullshit. And then I started to think about like my life. And I thought there's so many people out there like myself who were raised to believe that that without saying this, without them knowing to be dependents. There's so many people out there that are in a world, the way I frame it is, the world is, is not designed to, to, to help you succeed anymore. The world is designed to prevent you from failing. That's what it's designed for. Every social program, Every school, every aide, every teacher, every parent is just become a crutch to people so that if they decided to not take action or fail in by accident, even by accident, there's always a safety net. And in writing the book, the goal was to get people to believe that they don't need a safety net, that they are their own safety net, that they are their own decider that they have full control of every outcome in their life regardless if it's good or bad we're all going to go through some shit but if you understand that you get to decide how you deal with the shit then life is so easy to live so easy and i did that was my intention when i wrote the book and that that's really what poured out of me that's why i wrote the book in less than 90 days because it literally poured out of me it was like just let it go david just let it go my stories the the things I was thinking about, how do I build this thing? How do I structure? How do we take back control? How do relationships play into facts? These things just came out of me because I was so excited 
to finally be unleashed and share with the world that you don't have to be a dependent. You don't have to be a victim. You don't have to let anybody take care of you. You should, in fact, fail. Failure is good. Experience is gained in failure. You know, that is exactly what you need. I've gone through so many failures in my life. I've been told I couldn't do anything. I've been beat up and kicked around. And I know some people, like you mentioned, your story have probably had it way worse. But the way we overcome those things is by seeing the good in it and by taking full responsibility for everything that has happened to us, because that gives no power to anyone. It keeps all power within your control, which is what you want, if that makes sense. <laughs> makes perfect sense. Now, it brought me back um, years ago. I'm an, I'm an old guy. I'm an OG. I'm 50, 54 <laughs> now. Um, Young when I, was man. Like, when I was like 18 years old. I got invited to a seminar. It was it was by the uh, a gentleman named Mr. A. L. Williams. Um, he owned. A I know A. L. Oh, that's yeah. so good, yeah. dude. And you're gonna Prime do it and do it and do it. I'm sorry. Yep. I, mean, I mean, he started, you know, Primerica back back in the way or Travelers back in the day. But his book was amazing. Um, his book was called "All You Can Do Is All You Can Do, and All You Can Do Is Enough." But what he mentioned is, and I tell my kids, I got an 18, I got a 19 year old and I got a 20 year old right now um, that if you put in, if you have, if you work harder, if you work hard and have great values, you're beating 90% of the people that you're going against. I mean, the, re the, the rest of the 10% is going to be a dogfight. But if you, if you just work hard and have great values, you're going to beat 90% of the people. And I think even today, in today's age, like you're talking about, is everybody, it's so much easier to be successful easier. than it was even back then, right? It, you know, so I have quite a bit of friends in the accounting world who are older, like maybe 60s, early 70s. Their work ethic is just impeccable. Like they are, they are so focused. They are so determined. They are so goal-oriented. I, I would I would admire all these people growing up that just for some reason they figured out how to show up to work, get shit done. Like they just knew how to do that. Today, people show up and it's like, so where's the coffee? And let's just chill and let me surf through this. Oh, yeah, I have some work to do. Um, and then, you know, it's like it, it's so scattered that the, in a world today, it is so easy to win. It is easy easy to win because to be blunt if you want to be blunt with your guests is like people are just so fucking lazy and you don't as long as you're not lazy and you have a take action attitude and you have a belief that you control your own destiny man the world is your oyster literally you can do whatever you want like you can have be do all things in life because everybody is just going to sit on the sidelines watching you literally because they're spectators <laughs> spectators and you're a player that's all you have to do is just be a player all right so now it's like i said it's march 8th 2023 and how safe you get we have some people that are getting out of the military you know we don't military veterans don't make great employees uh, we make great oh, entrepreneurs yeah. but how do we go about starting to build our own economy by the way i have never heard that statement which you just said and it rings so true to me 
Um, I have always, I know you have a veteran group and I'm, I'm not want to offend anybody, but I want to say this with all due respect. I believe a lot of people come out of the, the military with very, very, very low quality skill sets. And it's, it's not cool, or at least their skill sets can't be maximized in the marketplace. It's probably a better way to yep. say it. Yep. And it. And it's so unfair. It is so unfair to let somebody go out into the marketplace that they can't win at. Like they didn't prepare them to take on the real world. And that's unfair to them. And, and by the way, I respect anybody who served this country. I mean, I'm the kind of guy that when I hear the national anthem, I think about all the people who have sacrificed their life. I mean, I like tear up. I'm not joking when I say that. I have a deep appreciation for this country and anybody who defends it and anybody who's willing to, because people ask me all the time, by the way, man, Richard, people will say, were you in the military? And I say, look, I'm not that brave. Like, I'm just not that brave. And I'm honest about it. Like, I just, I'm not. However, entrepreneurship, they are definitely, they're ready to go to battle. This is a different perspective. What you just put to me is fucking gold. Like, if I were a vet coming out of this thing, I would be looking for a problem that I can solve. And I would find, and the way I would find that problem is because you were doing something in the military that people like me need, right? And you can offer those things. Like literally, I mean, most people would think law enforcement and all that, but most military, I'm probably going to law enforcement. I pretty much get that. But I mean, there are skill sets that they get that could be monetized, but as a business owner, not in a market that people would hire for. And you're exactly right. Like, I, I can't even articulate how right you were there. And I'm sure that's not something that somebody hasn't said before. It's just, I had never thought about it. I always discredit veterans from the workforce because it sucks. Like you, you get them to apply and then you ask them, have you ever made phone calls? Have you ever, you know, do you know what a CRM is? Do you know what a, a 1040 is? And they're just like, look, man, that's not what I did. <laughs> I'm like, oh, like I want to help you, but I can't. Like I'll give a mentorship. I'll give guidance. Like I want to help you win. But if you don't have skills, it's very hard. It's an, it's an incredibly brutal marketplace for people who don't have skills. So I think if they had skill sets that could be monetized in a business relationship with them, I think myself and every other business owner in this country would be glad to give our money to them. Uh, I would pour money into a veteran-owned business. That wasn't, by the way, they don't even have to say that they're veteran-owned. Do be a good business owner and then tell me you're a veteran and you'll get 10 times my money. <laughs> Cause that's how I feel like that's, that's the kind of appreciation I have. But I, I also don't, don't just want people to tell me they're a veteran cause that doesn't help me think better about them. I want to help you succeed as a human being and you being a veteran just makes it so much better for me. Is that, and I hope I didn't go off on a different topic, but that no, just no. came out. I, I love it. Now for me, I've been out 12 years and sometimes I forget I'm even a veteran. Um, cause I, now I'm, I'm <laughs> turned, I turn, you know, I've changed to, to being an entrepreneur, podcast host, podcast producer. So it's kind of like I had to reinvent myself and reimagine my life. And I think a lot of veterans struggle with having to reinvent themselves or reinvent themselves, especially, you know, if you did 20 years, you know, you were a high rank when you get out of the army, you know, you, you go to regular job, you know, you might be like Joe Snuffy, you know, you might be in the mailroom, you know, starting all over again. So I think sometimes we yeah. got to humble ourselves and we have to re reinvent or reimagine, or you're going to be that old guy 
that's still wearing, you know, battle dress uniforms at 60 with a Marine Corps hat on. And you're not going to get anywhere in life if you don't reimagine or become resilient, right? Well, yeah, that, that's why it's so important to be strategic. I would imagine. So the majority of people who go into military that I know personally have just said, I don't know what else I want to do. So I'm just going to go do this. That's how most people I know do it. And that was me. to be truthful, that, that is not a bad strategy because you probably would have fucked up your life some other way. So don't worry. Like you, that's okay. However, going in, once you get in, there should be, and I'm sure there is, but it's probably not that good. There should be some counseling. And I don't mean counseling from a psychological, like, okay, let's look at your duties that you could perform and let's figure out which one we can get you. That'll make you the most money when you're done. I don't know if they do that, but I don't feel like they do it because if they did, I think a lot more people would be picking things that they could maximize in the future. Not things that just sound cool today. Like, Oh yeah, you want to, you want to work on, you know, or you want to be a paratrooper or whatever they call them. Like, Oh yeah. When you get into civilian life, like nobody's going to need you, man. I'm sorry, but it's just, but if you were, a mechanic for planes, you know, you could open up uh, that, by the way, just side story. I have a veteran client um, who I've just started working with who owns a company that does servicing for airplanes. He was a mechanic in the military, gets out of the military, gets a job at an airport, learns more about commercial airliners. In three years, he quits. He opens his own company and now he's doing millions. I mean, drives a Lambo, has his own private jet. He's doing big things. He took a skill set that he got in the military that they paid for that taught him this. And he monetized it in his own business. Killer. I mean, he's killing it. I mean, the reason I met him, by the way, I was sitting at a bar. I feel like I'm always at a fucking bar. Um, and, <laughs> and I'm sitting there. I look over. A guy walks in. I looked out the window and I see a Lambo. Lamborghini, brand new. And I said, bro, what do you do? And he gave me some real technical bullshit name. Tell me what you really do. He's like, I work on planes. <laughs> and I'm like, amen, brother. And he tells, and he had a big badge on the back, you know, the thing that says veteran. And I'm like, amen, dude. Congratulations. I'm super proud of you. You are definitely living out the dream freaking amazing so just every veteran should be doing something big like that and also you know i think for me one of the biggest things being a veteran helps with being an entrepreneur is we learn how to do as right sops standard operation procedures and we also know how to communicate and i believe that for me even nowadays with social media and all this stuff i believe if you can communicate you can rule the world if you know how to communicate with people. That's correct? right. Yep. I agree with that. The, the communication style, anybody who can communicate will always, you can become more credible. You know, if I could, every every person that I interact with in business today, or, or not in business, I, I do say it in business a lot, but like young people, if I could influence on them three skill sets they need to ma they maximize at a young age that will make them millionaires automatically, Number one, communication. Number two, marketing. Number three, sales. And they all intertwine. But if you master those three things, it's like it's, it's the combination to anything in life. It's the combination. You can do anything you want, anywhere you want. You can have, in, in my case, it, it, you know, 
if because I'm a male, any woman that I want with those three things, how to communicate, how to market and how to sell. I can have any woman I want. I can have any job I want. I can have any amount of money I want, any business I want, because I can do the three things that most people in the world will never be able to do. Never. If you get those three things, man, you you win. Uh, you know, and, and I, uh, I can't, I couldn't agree more. So now because this is a teaching podcast, what would be your top three pieces of business advice for brand new business owners? Uh, number one, don't focus on things that don't make you money. So many business owners come to me with an idea and a concept. Totally fine. You should hire somebody to help you. However, most people overthink it. Well, what if I get sued? What if I need an LLC? Or how am I going to get my bookkeeper? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, look, nothing effing matters until you make a sale. Sales are king. So if you're not thinking about making sales, then, then don't go into business. Because sales is the only way you're going to survive. Number two, you don't need a loan to start. If you need to borrow money to start a business, you're already starting in a negative. Get the hell out of business. You don't deserve to be in business until you can fund yourself through your sales. <laughs> sales are king and, and number three once you get those two things in the number one and number two filled out then you definitely need to make sure you have financial data that tells you the performance of your business because if you don't know where you are you'll never get to a destination so you've got to start with a plan right so i see it too many times i was speaking at i spoke at the texas state capitol last year uh to a to a big group of, of capital people whatever and then they were like, the, the access to capital is the number one reason today businesses fail. And I went up there. They thought I was just going to tout the line. And I walked up there and I said, the lack of sales is the reason businesses fails, ladies and gentlemen. And anybody here who tells me that they need money to operate is full of shit. <laughs> I was like, you, you know what I'm saying? Because it's true. Like, I don't need to borrow money to operate. I need to borrow money to expand. You only borrow money when you're fueling a fire not to start a fire and that's that's what i told them and i felt like it's true today so those are my three things wow um, you, you can't you can't like you can't get any better than that that's a master class <laughs> right there so let me ask you uh last question is how do we find you how do we pick up your book but also how do we support your mission well here, here's what I recommend is, look, I put out a ton of content on social media, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, everything goes by I am David A. Bettis. I am David, and don't forget the A. Bettis. Um, you can go to my website, davidaperez.com. Um, by the way, at that website, you can get a free copy of my book. We give away a copy of the book. All you have to do is pay for shipping. Um, anybody wants a copy of that book, I would gladly put it in your hands. My mission is to help everybody build their own economy. I call you, I call my peeps economy builders. They are people who are on a movement to build something unshakable in their lives, who are focused more on them than the rest of the world, who are more concerned about their house than the White House, who are delivering to the world the best version of themselves every single day. That is my peeps. And if you're part of that mission, grab a book. I'm writing my second book called The 3% Club which is the 3% of Americans who make over $200,000 a year who don't pay any federal income tax. I'm going to show you how to do it. Uh, I believe that keeping your money is part of this process, but more importantly, giving your money is part of this process. And I, I, I want everybody to know this. I don't just talk about money lightly. I think 
my purpose here was to give more than I took and to leave it better than I found it. And if we do those two things, all of us, man, the world would be a better place. I love that. And people don't realize that even in the scriptures, they Jesus talked about money more than he talked about hell. So I just want to put that out there. So I'm just letting you guys know, I, you know, money is, money is something you can't live without it. But, you know, and everybody says, you know, the love of the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of it, not having it, not using it as a tool. You need money, everybody. And you need a lot of it today. And more than ever, I would say money is the tool you need to get ahead, to be able to give. You can't give what you don't have, guys. And a lot of people want to give and give and give and give and give. And I'm like, look, the only thing you're going to give if you're poor is your time. And you only got so much of that. Why don't you have infinite amounts of money so you can give? If you love your church, wouldn't it be nice to write them a million dollar check every year? If you love your community, wouldn't it be nice? I'm not saying money is what you need to give. I'm just saying it would be completely amazing to be able to be the person who helped so many because of the contributions that you made to the world. People were willing to compensate you and then you can compensate the world with love, gifts, charity, whatever it may be. You know, the richest men in the world always come back and say, I don't need the money. I'm going to give it all away before I die. Why do they say that? Because they've worked all their life to be able to do that. Some people are just going to give nothing and you're not going to leave much. So go out and bust your ass, make some freaking money. If you're a veteran out there, start your own business, be a freaking whatever it is that you got to do. But just just go out and crush it, man. You deserve it. Everybody deserves to build their own economy. I love it. And make sure you're, you know, worrying about legacy. Like my brother Gary Vaynerchuk taught me, you know, your legacy will be more valuable than your currency. So that's I love freaking it. right. So I love it. So guys, make sure you, you pick up his book. Uh, make sure you're following him. He puts out amazing content and he's consistent with what he does. So David, I just want to say thank you, brother. I'm so grateful for you. Hey, I appreciate you, man. Thank you all for having me. I love it. So, guys, make sure um, if you guys want content like this brought to your your computer every single Thursday, we put out a newsletter called Thir um, Thunder Thursday. So, where you're going to get this episode's going out Thursday. It's going to write your email right into your inbox, so you can continue keeping on the edge of what's going on. David, brother, have an amazing week, and thank you so much. Keep crushing it. All right, man. I appreciate you, man. All right, brother. God bless. And guys, remember, vertical momentum. The only way to go is but up. I love you guys. See you tomorrow. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.